who are you? Who have you decided to be? Who do you want to be? And I ask that question with passion and enthusiasm because if you're trying to be something that you're not, if you're trying to please other people, if you have been told that you have to be a certain way or even worse, you've been labelled something. And I deal with this every day. I'm sure that you do too. And there's some words now that have become almost popular to use. And I'll give you some examples. You are self-sabotaging. You have imposter syndrome. You've got ADHD. You're depressed. You're anxious. And we hear this all the time. It might be the reverse. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm got imposter syndrome. I'm self-sabotaging. And they're very interesting labels that it seems that social media or society has thrown out there that some of us have caught and picked up and stuck on ourselves, literally like a label. Well, some very, and this is very controversial, uh, but for me very important because I would love everybody to live as the person they want to be, which is why I asked the question, who are you? Who do you want to be? Who are you becoming? And you are, are you on track for that? And as I always share one of my, my most favorite quotes, I love who I am now, but I am excited about who I am becoming. So it's not about, I don't like me now. It's about, yes, I love who I am, but I'm wanting to get better, stronger, wiser, fitter, healthier every single day. So my first question is, who are you? Who do you want to be is the next question. And then if somebody has put a label on you and said, you are this, do you believe them? And if you do, why? So if you've been saying to yourself, and I use the examples, if you've been saying to yourself, I self-sabotage, there's a very important question to be asked here. If you tell your own brain that you are self-sabotaging, and I presume that means I'm screwing up my own life. That's my, my simple terminology for that. I'm constantly screwing up my own life. People say that to me almost every day. Somebody will say, oh, Rowie, I, I, I'm self-sabotaging or I did that and I didn't want to. Well, because I'm studying constantly daily neuroscience and how the human brain works and because I have lots of psychologists and psychiatrists and neuroscientists in my life, there's a very important question to ask there. And I'm not asking it, this is what the, the experts ask. If you're doing something, it's because it's giving you something. If you act a certain way, it's because it's adding some kind of value to your life. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. So could it be a really good idea to find out what it is that's benefiting you from this particular behavior or action or thing that you're doing? And then perhaps, as they all say to me, the experts... You can't get rid of a bad habit. You just exchange it for a good habit or a better habit. So if you, and I'll use, because I'm an exercise professional, I've been a personal exercise coach all of my life, and it's been really interesting to watch people who lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. And I've never been able to understand that. Some people would call that self-sabotage. I get myself into great shape and then I go and eat a stack of food or I stop exercising for months at a time. The question is, why do you do that? And if you relate that to there's a benefit to doing that, it means that the pain of uh, being fit, being strong, exercising, eating healthy is greater than the pleasure of not doing anything and eating crappy food. There's, there's a pleasure in being inactive and eating food. So the pain of having to go out and exercise, having to work hard, eat food you don't like, 
Uh, that then takes over. I don't want to do that. I want to eat when I bloody well want to, and I don't want to do any exercise because I like that better at the moment. When that ex- that uh, balance changes to, I look in the mirror and I can't stand what I see anymore. I've got no energy, or I'm sick or diseased. So the pain of eating whatever I want and not doing any exercise or activity becomes greater than going out to do some. That's when I make the change. Uh, And for different people, it's all different reasons. And I'm going to give you some very harsh examples of that. So if the doctor says, if you don't do something, you're going to die and you don't want to die, for a lot of people, that has become the reason. Okay, I'm very overweight. I'm very sick. I'm very diseased. I'm very out of shape, but I don't want to die. So I better do something about it. So that's a very extreme example. For some people, it's having children. I I treat my body like crap and I don't do anything with it and I'm really unhealthy and really out of shape and I don't look after myself and I'm not fit and strong. But I've just found out that we're going to have a baby. And for a lot of people, that's, hey, I need to set the example now for another human being, so I need to change my lifestyle. Now, I will share with you openly, however, that for a lot of people that hasn't mattered and I'm sure you've seen lots of parents who are out of shape, unfit, And it doesn't seem to bother them that they're giving that example to their children. Now, of course, I don't understand that. I'm wondering when that will change. Because there's obviously some kind of benefit in being an unfit, unhealthy, out-of-shape parent. Uh, Obviously, the pain of changing is too great. They would rather be an unfit, unhealthy parent. I can't... I don't understand that I'm not going to pretend to, but that's the that's how the experts explain it to me, Robbie. That's why people don't change because the pain is too the the pain of change is too great. They'd rather stay the same. Here's a very extreme example. I had a lady in my life who lost 150 kilos. Uh, that's a lot of person to take off your person. And when I asked her what was the catalyst, what was the what made you change? Because she said, I just kept getting fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter and I didn't care. She said, I love food, I hated exercise and I didn't care. This is her words, not mine. I'm paraphrasing, but this is how she explained it to me. She said, but there came a day when I went to the bathroom and I did a number two and I had to ask my husband to come and wipe my bum because I couldn't. I couldn't reach. I was too overweight. She said, that's it, I'm not living like this anymore. And she lost 150 kilos. Now, I would like to think that we don't have to get to that point before we make a change. But she explained to me very clearly that that was the point that that her life changed. Because up until then, she didn't care. But the embarrassment or whatever that was, and I can't imagine how that would feel to say, please come to the bathroom and do that for me because I can't do it myself. I think that's, uh, I, would, I would like to think that as an exercise professional, as a personal results coach, that I can make eating and exercise, uh, eating and being fit and strong, just being fit and strong more exciting than I'm going to wait till that happens. And that's the point, isn't it? That as a personal exercise coach, if you're an exercise professional, a parent, a teacher, a coach, somebody who wants to inspire people to be healthy, fit and strong, shouldn't we be aiming to make the process simple and easy and fast, not long and boring and hard? Because is it possible that long and boring and hard is the reason that people don't make a change? So self-sabotage simply, could it mean that my pleasure of staying like this is greater than the pain of changing and that will never change 
until the pain becomes great, greater to stay the same. And I always use that as a simple example. If you're sitting on the couch and your bum doesn't hurt, you won't move. But if you're sitting on the couch and your bum starts to hurt, that is when you move around. So it seems that we need to be uncomfortable. And maybe we need to create uncomfortable so that we make change. It's just something to consider. The other interesting label that I've just been given, apparently the world's using it a lot at the moment, is imposter syndrome. Somebody shared that with me the other day and I said, what, does that, what is that? What does that mean? And this woman looked at me like I was from another planet. She said, oh, it's all over the internet, imposter syndrome. And I said, what do you think it is? Now, I think it could be different for everybody. But her suggestion was that you don't think you're good enough. The rest of the world thinks you're good enough, but you don't. You feel like you're an imposter because you, you think you're not good enough. So the world thinks you can sing, but you don't. Uh, the world thinks that you're really smart, but you don't. The world thinks that you're really pretty, but you don't. So you feel like an imposter in your own world. Well, in my old-fashioned world, that's probably called low self-esteem. And I was given a very, very special gift when I was very young. And it goes like this. Never overestimate other people and never underestimate yourself. Now, that's called self-esteem, of course. But how do you get high self-esteem? And that's a bazillion-dollar question. And the only answer I've got for that is you can't talk yourself into high self-esteem. You can't tell yourself, I'm amazing, I'm good, Uh, all those what do they we call them? Affirmations. I'm going to tell myself how good I am. Well, we're never going to know how good we are until we actually go and do something. We feel rewarded. We feel good about ourselves. We feel awesome when we've achieved. If we're not achieving, we usually feel pretty crappy. And that's, if that's controversial, I, I will actually say that without apology. Because the psychologists and psychiatrists all share with me that depression and unhappiness and that horrible feeling of I don't like my life comes from I don't have a purpose. When you've got a purpose and when you're excited about your life and then when you achieve your goals, then you want to keep achieving. If you know what you should do and you don't do it, that's when you feel pretty crappy. So if you feel like an imposter in your world, if you feel like everybody else thinks I'm awesome but I'm not, uh, first of all, does it matter what everybody else thinks? surely it matters most what you think. And that's what I call self-respect. And if you have self-respect, then of course you won't have whatever self uh, imposter syndrome is because you will like who you are because you have a purpose, you're achieving your purpose, you are achieving. If you promise yourself that you're going to get up tomorrow and exercise and you don't, you'll probably feel pretty crappy because you made a promise to yourself and you didn't keep your promise. Some people call that a lack of integrity towards your own well-being. I made a promise to myself and I didn't keep that promise. Now, that's just called a habit process, by the way. You can get into the habit of breaking promises to yourself, which surely means you can get back into the habit of keeping promises. And I always ask this question, what if today, from this day forward, Every time you said to yourself, I'll do that tomorrow, you just stop whatever you're doing and do it now. Get into the habit of doing it now, which means you'll get rid of the habit of procrastination because you're going to do it now. Every time you hear yourself say, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow, stop and just do it now. And I share that with you very passionately because habits get formed very quickly. 
which means we can get out of the habit of doing the stuff that's going to add value to our life very quickly, but we can get back into the habit of adding value to our life very quickly. We just have to change the habit, which of course is changing the vocabulary, which is changing the thought pattern, which is changing the action, which is changing the result. But I'm going to argue that. I think if you take action, a lot of people say, well, I'll do that when I feel like it. Isn't it the reverse? When you do it, you'll feel like doing more. Exercise is that. When you get fit and strong, you feel like getting fitter and stronger. The weaker and sicker and more diseased and more tired and lethargic you become, the less that you want to do. Could that be self-sabotage? How about, I'm just going to change that. I'm not going to live my life like that. I'm never going to end up in the bathroom and have to ask somebody to come and wipe my backside for me. Could that be a really good affirmation? Interesting thing to consider. There's some very controversial labels now that the world is using, and I'm, I'm, I'm very careful to, to ask these questions. But if somebody has labelled you as depressed or anxious or ADD or ADHD, or, and I'll just use myself again as an example, I think pretty, pretty confidently that if that diagnosis or that label had been around when I was at school, I would have been labelled with ADHD or ADD attention deficit disorder. I had no attention. I didn't want to be at school. I bloody hated it. I didn't like what I was learning. It was boring. The people that were telling me stuff couldn't answer my questions. They frustrated me because I'd say, please, can you answer this question? And they couldn't. So they'd say, get to the office. (laughs) I hated school. And I'm sure that if that label existed, somebody would have stuck it proudly on my chest and said, that girl's got ADHD or ADD. Well, how about this? Rather than believing somebody else's label, and I don't care if an expert gives it to you, and I'll go a little step further than this. I've had people in my life, and I'm sure you've heard of these people who have been told you can't, and they go and do it anyway. They've been told by experts that they can't, and they go and do it anyway. I've had people in my life who've been told they're going to die by experts, and they just don't buy into that, they don't believe it, and they haven't died. I've had people that have been diagnosed with terminal illness. You are going to die on this within this time frame. And they just won't buy into that. They get a second opinion, a fifth opinion, a 55 opinion, and they decide that that's not, not what is going to happen to them. Uh, there are people in this world who do not accept labels. We get told, our kids get told, we've been told, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're not smart enough, you're too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny, too old, too young, you don't have enough money, you don't have a good enough education. And people have been told all of that stuff, given all of those labels, and they've said, no, bugger you, I'm not taking that label on. I don't believe it's impossible. I don't believe I'm not smart enough. I don't believe that I have to be tall to do that. I don't believe that I have to be a certain weight to do that. I'm just going to do it anyway. And they're the people that I've been studying all of my life, which is why I'm so confident when I talk about be careful of the labels. You will be given a label. There's no doubt about that. There'll be people in your life. I get labelled as the obnoxiously happy woman. I love that label, by the way, but people don't say it in a happy way. People get labelled as ugly, old, nasty, terrible, not smart enough. There's a whole heap of labels that you don't have to take on board unless you allow it to stick to you. So how about some Teflon skin? How about, when I say ignore the labels, I have to be very careful with that. I get that. Because there will be doctors and medical professionals and psychologists and people who say, you've got this or you are this. You get to decide who you are. And I'm going to ask that question again. Who are you and who do you want to be? 
you don't, if the, the world doesn't think you're a certain way, that's okay. You have to believe it. So this imposter syndrome, you just be who you are and be that person. Mm-hmm.